Crypto Blood and welcome to another kicking it session. Today I have Drew Harden from Pillar on with me, guys. We're gonna talk about a myriad of things. Pillar, Ethereum, why they're choosing to stick with Ethereum. You guys know how I feel about Ethereum. And we're gonna also talk about just the future of blockchain. I'm so glad he reached out to me. Drew Harden, he's the chief product officer at Pillar Project. What's going on, brother? Hey, how are you? Good, good. So uh, glad to have you on. You reached out to me. Yeah, uh, if you was it uh, I think last week or so, and uh, we scheduled a time to just get an update. Um, to be honest with you, I haven't been following the the project ever since I kind of sold all of my tokens. Uh, sure. Shortly yeah. after the uh, the the interview I had with your uh, CEO or chairman, and uh, no hard feelings at all. I just didn't. I couldn't put together the vision, and that was a year and a half ago or so. So I'm sure you guys have done uh, much more and, and has, have developed much more. So uh, before we get into that, though, Drew, tell us a little bit about you. I think you have a, a computer science background. Is that correct? And how did you end up with the Pillar Project? Uh, sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't actually have a, a computer science background, okay. but um, a tremendous amount of uh, experience in software development. Okay. So gotcha. I worked... Um, I've done many things, but uh, in terms of technology, I I launched a, a hardware um, startup in the digital cinema space, um, a digital field recorder, uh, first portable actually digital field recorder for um, uh, digital capture in motion picture. And um, during all that, I was like, hardware is terrible. It's extremely difficult. And uh, the software stuff side, I was more intrigued with. Ended up uh, working with the company um, and uh, basically building one of the very first Ruby on Rails, which is a, a development language, web development language, um, agencies and shops out of LA area. I was going to uh, say, you don't sound like you're from UK. So you're, are you in the UK or are you in the States? No, yeah, I am. Um, I currently live in Los Angeles, back in Los okay. Angeles. Oh, where, okay. Uh, I went to college here and uh, spent the last about 15 or so years just here. I was out in London with the team, working directly with them uh, all of last year in London. Gotcha. Uh, recently came back here. And main reason for that too is in the last uh, nine or so months, I've really, my focus has really been on kind of the, the crypto cir circuits, specifically, you know, the Ethereum conferences, hackathons, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Because um, building an open source project, it's all about, you know, partnerships and collaborating with other projects. And, and that's really allowed us to kind of propel our uh, product forward and our nice. product development. So, um, yeah. And so from the Ruby on Rails shop, then uh, launched my own agency um, doing web and mobile application development uh, for startups based out of L.A. But most of our development team was uh, and design team were based out of Uruguay and Argentina Mm -hmm. um, so working really closely with those uh, markets and, you know, about a decade of that. Um, and through that work, I was exposed to Bitcoin, maybe 2011, 12, uh, read the white paper, immediately was attracted to it from like a philosophical standpoint. Same here. Um, yeah, just like totally spoke to me, resonated with me. And I was like, this is great. Saw multiple bubbles uh, from yep. very <laughs> yeah, low, low, low prices. So yeah. um, I, I really got excited around end of 2016, beginning of 2017, because I saw that 
we might be in this transition from just purely speculative gambling apps and you know all the various things that there to real development being done against the decentralized economy um, applications the, the, all that so the ICO craze hit and um, at that point I was basically still kind of speculating doing some trading along with everybody else um, and at a certain point I'm like look I know this stuff I love what's happening here. Um, I want to get involved. Um, mm -hmm. I started to decide that I want to focus less on just pushing digital ones and zeros around and profits and, and really focus on product. And um, a couple projects that uh, also really spoke to me, uh, were, like caught my eye, one was Pillar. Um, I'm a big privacy advocate. Um, I really believe in you know, data control, data privacy, anonymity. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, right after their ICO, they launched their uh, wallet design competition. So uh, myself and a buddy of mine, actually uh, uh, the creative director from uh, one of my uh, old agencies, uh, got together. He didn't know anything about crypto, which was actually great. Um, and yep. I was in two versed, so I was a little bit biased and kind of expected the, the workflows of pain, um, right. onboarding pain and all that. But yeah, we put to, uh, put together something um, and, and submitted it and ended up winning. So that opened up the conversation, uh, flew out to New York and met with David, some of the other um, design contest entrants and, and winners and um, collaborated with them for about three days. It was actually a lot of fun. And then started doing kind of some, you know, part-time consulting work, uh, which then grew into a, hey, do you want to do you want to do this full time and, and really work with us and, and help to, you know, drive product and shape design and, and that stuff. So oh, that was one, one of the things that's neat. I didn't know that. Okay. So that's how you're, yeah. you know, kind of were introduced to uh, pillar. Um, one of my constructive criticisms of pillar was the fact that they had like a volunteer model. Is right. that still something that they're doing or, or have they scaled, kind of made the pendulum swing the other way or kind of give yeah. us a little if you can? If yeah, you can. the intention was great, obviously. And, right. and uh, I, frankly, I kind of came through this volunteering process in some extent. Granted, this design competition, there was, um, you know, uh, a reward involved in financial incentive. Mm -hmm. And, and that, and, and I did put in some time basically for free, getting to know the team, working on various tasks. Um, and, you know, this volunteer process, depending on what you did, when you came in, what it was, some people it was like a couple of days, some people it was a little longer, but yeah, we quickly realized in terms of, especially the, the technical complexity and the, the challenge, challenges, not just in code, but in concept of, of what we were trying to build, needed to build, required um you know people that have, have experience in this stuff and and are are able to really uh, tackle these problems from a user experience design technical perspective so um you know we found the volunteering process didn't end up working for the you know what we needed and uh yeah it, it forced us to shift pretty quickly um and you know now it's all about making sure the people we bring in are qualified, but really also an emphasis on not reinventing the wheel and, and finding strategic partners and other projects um, that are doing similar things, working with them, uh, sharing ideas, sharing code. Again, this is, this is an open source project community uh, um, effort, you know, on, on all parts. And I think it's really going to kind of ch change how product development is 
done and how it's thought of um, from that perspective. So I think those people who are going to really be able to thrive are, are the ones who are going to be able to play nice with others and, and find benefit um, in like mutual benefit in working together. Nice. That's great to see that you guys uh, weren't stubborn and, and did end up pivoting away from that. Um, I think, you know, having volunteers is good, but at a certain point, you, to the level of skill set that you need to recruit, yep. sometimes I think you need to have that monetary incentive for the, for your, uh, for your employees. Um, it was great, great to capture passion, but yeah, yeah. skill set, another right, question sometimes. Right, 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 right. It's cool, man. So let's go ahead and start talking about this actual pillar wallet, man. I, you know, there are so many wallets out there. Um, it's 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 some very stiff competition for you guys, and you know, help help us understand the whole ecosystem of pillar and why you think you have a competitive advantage over other coins or not coins but wallets. Uh, I guess we can kind of just start there. Yeah, I mean, it's the even the term wallet lexicon is kind of a, a challenging thing because it doesn't capture what pillar is trying to achieve and it's like goal and vision very mm -hmm. well. Um, and as a result, we've kind of been pegged in this wallet category, which, and for all intents and purposes, that's, you know, up until this point, uh, some of the mo more recent announcements, that's really been the kind of only core functionality there. Um, but the goal, and it's important to keep this in mind is really about, again, the personal data control data management. And, you know, over the last year, year and a half, there's also been a lot of learnings um, that have come from a technology um, network perspective, scaling challenges, um, all these things. And this, you know, sits at a, at a network level mm -hmm. um, that really informed what we need to do as a product to solve some of the challenges and, and deliver on those goals. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the what's what's exciting is um, you know we're we're making this move to evolve from just a simple wallet into a, a much bigger platform uh, variety of utility. The first of which is this migration from key-based accounts, which pillar wallets are now, to smart contract-based accounts. And this, this is kind of a theme you're seeing across uh, the board, especially Ethereum-based uh, uh, wallets. Um, you know, pro pro in this theme of like programmable money deserves programmable access. And mm -hmm. this idea of storing funds and keys is kind of a hangover from Bitcoin and key-based uh, UTXO chains. And you know, with Ethereum, it makes more sense from a security and user experience standpoint to allow funds to live in contracts and then keys to access those contracts with varying permission levels controlled by the user, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this also fits into, you know, the need for contextualized identity and the ability to manage the, your identity in different scenarios, um, context with different individuals, um, different services. So, um, you know, we, there's an issue with, or a consideration, I guess, with data correlation um, you know, it, with being able to track addresses, what you hold, what you're spending on, everybody can see this. And yeah. when you start compounding that with identity, um, and you don't really consider the implications of how identity is being associated with on-chain data, um, these are all things that 
you know, we've, we've had to think about and this, this approach we're taking uh, considers. So the leading into this, the, you know, the smart contract accounts also set the basis for really the first utility of the token um, and the platform itself. Um, we escape the crypto kitties incident um, really highlighted that we have a, a situation, a, a problem with network scaling mm-hmm. and for Ethereum. And that obviously is a huge problem for onboarding, um, mass adoption, usability. And I think that same problem, although you can call it a scaling problem, is also a user experience one. Um, and solving those key issues are really core to any dApp or wallet or um, experience that you're going to, uh, that is trying to scale. Right. So we immediately started to shift, as many did, to you know, layer two or off-chain design practices and and rethinking this stuff, you know. And at the same time this was going on, there was this, we, we all jumped into this, like kind of the people who already got it, that resonated with, you know, decentralization, gung-ho, you know. And I think we kind of placed this binary ultimatum on a lot of people of zero to hero, like, you go completely to decentralization from all the conveniences and things you've been taught to expect out of web two and, and centralized applications. And so, you know, how we can take a, a more gradual approach or to decentralization and provide those conveniences with also, you know, of centralization, but with uh, multiple and frequent exits out uh, to a decentralized, to self-custody, self-sovereignty, um, and the user can take those steps as they become, you know, more comfortable. So thematically, these are kind of the things that ha- were driving our product thinking and, and focus. So this this led to us deciding to, um, on the back of our um, smart contract accounts and, and what we're calling our smart wallet, roll out what we're calling the pillar payment network, which mm-hmm. is a, a layer two uh, payment network, and a on top of that um so payment networks if you're on or payment channels um if you're unfamiliar are basically an off-chain channel you open with another party by um you know both parties sending funds to an escrow account and the collateral involved is is kind of how you secure the transactions between them by, by pillar acting as like a hub between all the users on the network, we can generalize this process and allow users to open payment channels with basically everyone else on the pillar platform, pillar payment network. So you're using uh, like, is it called the rainbow network? Is that the- Yeah, so, right. Um, so the, the, the now the layer on top of that, which was recently proposed by Dan Robinson and others have thought about this or implementing this in different ways, something called a rainbow network or a rainbow channels, which then work into a rainbow network. And what's meant by a rainbow channel is essentially a payment channel of variety of flavors, you know, like a rainbow. Mm-hmm. Um, what that means is, you know, traditionally with, again, payment channels, the asset you stake is basically the only asset that you're transacting back and forth. So you got to decide on that up front. With rainbow channels, you can use the staked asset, um, the collateral, to enable um, balance transfers in any supported coin token um, of that network. So in our case, um, in the case of Pillar, by staking some um, pillars and entering into the Pillar payment network, 
you're essentially able to send any other token or cryptocurrency that's supported by the pillar wallet. So at this point, we'd be looking at Ethereum and all ERC-20 tokens. Uh, as we introduce cross-chain support, which is coming, um, you'll be able to actually use pillars to, say, send Bitcoin to a buddy or Litecoin to somebody, uh, a service. Yeah, that um, was another Yeah, that was another um, uh, kind of constructive criticism point that I had about Pillar was that it was only ERC-20 tokens. Um, and that was a big letdown, at, at, you know, back a year ago. And so uh, that's great that you guys are going to be, you know, integrating cross-chain uh, yeah. capabilities. That's it's important. Like, you got to have Bitcoin. You can't have a wallet without the big dog. <laughs> you know what I'm of saying? Of like, course. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's always been the plan and the roadmap. And mm -hmm. again, this kind of goes back to that. We were pegged as this wallet thing or, or, or a wallet offering. And again, we were advertising ourselves as such. And too, right. But the goal and vision of what we're trying to do being much larger the focus was less on accommodating a bunch of different tokens and, and uh, different chains because that really didn't get us to our goal faster. Users wanted it, demanded it, and they're like, oh, this, you know, your wallet should have it. We agree, but we really needed to think at like foundational architecture first and ensure that kind of the goals from an identity, data management, and, you know, now these challenges with scaling, usability, and onboarding were all being met before. You know, because if, if the those all those considerations or, or challenges weren't dealt with and you start entering offering more coins, it's it it kind of, you know, it's it's just compounding the problem in, right. in a sense. So, so uh, let me phrase this question this way, because I think the, the viewers would, you know, I don't know who your demographic, who your target market is. Are you going for the, the individuals who are new to cryptos or are you going for the individuals that understand the importance of anonymity, uh, GD, GDPR, all of that type of stuff? Who, who's your who's your target market? Because then I can kind of understand where you guys are going and, and maybe have a different feeling about the project, I guess. Our focus has really always been on kind of the novice user for okay. the most part. Okay. The, the reality of... The market and adoption at this point is, you know, crypto users, people who are familiar with it, have been involved, um, are, are really the only ones that are using it at the moment. The, yeah. the retail market jumped in uh, when they thought they could make a buck. It was a speculative play. Right. Um, right. And I don't think that many of them have stuck around to uh, appreciate the, the possibilities of the technology. So that will come um, and it's going to take um applications products and and value uh to be able to drive users to to see that and to actually engage um so i mean the whole idea of having a, a single token uh, you know using pillar to be able to transact and have exposure to any other coin it it, it solves a lot of problems from a, a you know a novice standpoint like you know, our, our next big goal is obviously and something we've talked about is creating an ecosystem of services that lives natively within the wallet. So there's plenty of those, you know, um, services that will probably have their own native tokens. Um, and you can just use your pillar to cover that, that native token purchase exchange cost fee um, without actually having to go somewhere, buy it, then spend it. Then you have kind of some you know, dust left over and you're not sure if you want that, you know, so it, it allows you to kind of get in out of those experiences through again, a, a single, 
uh, token and kind of experience. So, so uh, that, my 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 question about um, my I'm sorry to cut you off there. My question no, no, no. about uh, the anonymity part of it are, is is the way your wallet is you know designed? Is it in a way where let's say a company like Chain Analysis wouldn't be able to track what's going on because most of it is off chain. Is that, how, how does that work? So there's, yeah, um, obviously any chain on chain transaction trackable public. Um, part of the reason for our uh, introduction of personas is the ability to create new wallet addresses, key, keys, um, and associate those with different aspects of your lives. So most people I expect will kind of organize those by coworker, uh, friend, family, or what whatnot. Um, some of us, I'm sure, will have our KYC and our verified credentials associated with one, and then maybe our darknet account over on another. Right. So you know, it right. that this is on chain though. Um, you know, and we want to expand this so basically every new connection. In the future will be a, a completely different address so we can we can r reduce that correlation even further um but for the pillar pay payment network is yeah since it is basically a layer two an off-chain solution um anything other than opening the channel so the initial stake and closing which is settling the initial balance yep um any transaction that occurs on that uh, on that layer is essentially private um, it's free because there's no gas involved um, and it's instant because there's no kind of confirmation weight from in terms of miners or, or whatever it may be. So uh, there's quite a few benefits and, and technically as long as you stay collateralized, these channels can stay open. So you could have a channel open with a buddy for six months, a year, um, and only kind of you know it's like a bar tab you or you know it's especially one where maybe you're a local and you go and some days you buy some drinks, maybe they overcharge you, they give you a refund, and then one day you close that whole tab. All those transactions in the middle, credit card processor doesn't see that. They basically just see the final total of what was run. I got you. I got you. So what? how high is the barrier to entry for a newcomer? Uh, do they have to have crypto to create a wallet, an, a, a persona? How? What does that look like? So That was another concern of mine. So yeah. Right. Um, what's great is one of the, the recent, um, fork of Ethereum, Constantinople, um, or St. Petersburg, um, what they, was the inclusion of one of the features was the inclusion of create two, which yeah. allows applications dApps to reserve account addresses, um, before they're actually deployed. Um, this is also known as like counterfactual account, uh, smart or contract deployment, mm -hmm. smart contract. Deployment. So, um, in the future, once we roll this, uh, functionality out, uh, users will start automatically with a smart wallet. Um, they're able to actually receive um, tokens um, as much as they want. They can't send anything until they actually deploy that contract. Uh, the, what we've um, determined based on, on like kind of current prices is uh, contract deployment cost is around 30 cents or so. Obviously, that'll swing based on network health and everything, mm -hmm. um, but pretty cheap. Uh, we're going to be rolling out a big uh, referral program. So um, users who refer others will receive some pillars, and then obviously the person getting referred will receive some. We're hope hoping that that kind of initial referral fee will be enough for most people to actually be able to deploy their smart wallet. But assuming they can't even do that, the ability for them to use their key, fund that, 
um, start start interacting. Um, that's all exists. Uh, gotcha. In order to take advantage of kind of this in enhanced functionality of the pillar payment network and stuff, this requires pillar to be staked, and the amount staked is kind of the the value that you have to transact within that network. So that's kind of the the benefit, if you will. So are you guys? like fully committed to ethereum like the way you guys built this wallet the back-end architecture um let's just say ethereum never gets to where and maybe you guys don't need it with the, the way you're doing the layer two but are you guys committed to ethereum that was you know i'm because I'm, I'm looking at like the user names and stuff like that, that you guys have created where people don't have to really know a, a an actual ethereum address that type of stuff is available on uh eos out of the gate right so um it's almost like we're recreating the wheel when when we don't need to with many of not just eos but other blockchain 3.0 type of architecture how, how have you guys designed this infrastructure uh, is it is it scalable? Is it migratable? So I mean, we we are committed to Ethereum, gotcha. like as obviously we're we're working on it. Um, right. The frankly, though, you know, the platform itself is agnostic. Um, if we needed to or chose to move, um, it would take work, of course, but there's no reason we we couldn't necessarily. Um, as we begin to support cross chain um you know and 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 new chains i think that's also going to really open up possibilities um and further kind of yeah i didn't um, think about that yeah you're going to be you're going to so, have to deal with those other chains anyway so it's going to allow huge, i got you mm -hmm. and there's huge usability and, and user experience challenges with that because utxo coins how they're handled this is totally different um so you know, making this intuitive, simple, et cetera, it, those challenges will naturally have force us to have to think through those architectures and, and how we integrate and play with those networks. Um, I almost think like I feel like you guys need to go in the direction of either an extension in a browser or a browser like a pillar or pillar browser. Like, I think I just feel like that's the that that may be the evolution in the way that we actually gain newcomers not through a, a physical wallet per se more so like a brave browser right how they've integrated i almost feel like you guys need to go in that direction not just you just a lot of these wallets i know you're not just a wallet but just seeing that you're dealing with privacy trying to keep people's privacy theirs the data lockers and all of that stuff where is that mostly used that's on in a browser right um what are your thoughts yeah, like it, have you guys tossed that around i'm sure you have a hundred yeah a hundred percent i mean the we i i often use the term platform um because it, it kind of hints at something larger than again a wallet or an application yes um we've we've tossed around you know operating system yeah. In inevitably, I think that's kind of what we're trying to build, but I don't want to necessarily use that too much because it's it seems overly ambitious and, you know, it's but the reality is like, yeah, I think that's kind of what you're talking about is, you know, it's it's a it's an all in one experience that it, a portal, if you will, to this decentralized economy and the services and, and applications that are available. Um, and it's also a payment processor and transaction layer for, for all those things as well. So, 
it's a lot, there's a lot to it. And I think as, you know, DAP browsers gain in popularity, as other companies start to natively integrate, this, this poses questions too with Apple and um, App Store, you know, policies and, um, you know, digital purchases and are, are you getting around that? So mm -hmm. there's going to be some friction and it's actually already starting. We, uh, I, I recently read that um, app, the App Store um, rejected a trust wallet update for some reason and mm. they made mention of, I guess, a kind of hinting towards that being the reason. So, yeah, I... I um, you know, in terms of, we believe like the mobile experience is where most of this is going to live in the future, where where things are trending. Um, so that's where we've chosen to focus. Um, I do anticipate, and we have talked about some sort of a desktop client, um, and that need is going to make more sense as options for recovery um, and uh, uh, connecting other devices to contracts and and various things are are, are required or, or asked for. Um, so. Let's talk about that recovery process. Um, let's go through that. I, I have a pillar wallet. I lose it. You know, I have a phone. I have pillar wallet in, installed. I lose my phone. Where, what are my options? Are there any options for me? Because I know that pillar, you hold your private keys with pillar. Uh, pillar doesn't hold it. It's all with you. How does that work? So right now, again, key based, um, total control, um, total responsibility. So if you lose your key or your backup phrase to your key and your device, some combination, um, you're kind of out of luck. Mm -hmm. uh, again, a great analogy um, is that a prepaid debit card. You It's loaded full of funds, but it's not really tied to an account. You lose that card, it's lost. Funds are lost. Mm -hmm. This is the benefit, one of the main benefits of moving to contract-based funds. So funds are now stored in contract, keys live on device or devices. Um, and separating those two limits vulnerability of, of total loss, right? So now you can lose a key, you can lose a device, contracts still out there and live as long as you have access. So how to provide access um, and create redundancy in numerous ways. Um, I would, you know, I recommend uh, personally connecting another device and giving it, you know, master key, master signing uh, mm -hmm. authority. Mm -hmm. So you might have a, a secondary phone or your desktop computer, again, mm -hmm. referencing that, um, might be a hardware wallet. And mm -hmm. so you can kind of always use that one to recover the other. Mm -hmm. um, another option we're going to be doing is a Pillar is going to offer uh, to act as a centralized recovery agent. Um, I really believe that for new users, um, that's that's going to be something very important. And in the sense of you know counterfactually deployed contracts, people come in, they're interacting with all these things, they're they're gaining value. Maybe they they got a, a, a referral fee or for you know, being invited and, and creating their wallet on Pillar, and then they lose. It. And so I, I believe that having Pillar is kind of a default for that. Um, there's a lot of benefit, and then at any point user decides, you know what, I, I understand this stuff. I don't really like the fact that Pillar has access. I'm going to, I'm going to let them go and uh, re revoke their access. Mm -hmm. uh, in the meantime, you know, as part of the deployment process, you're going to need to have some sort of recovery mechanism before we want you to fund it. So one of the, the mo more common ways that we're probably going to push users towards is social recovery or relying on your networks in the Pillar um, community on, on the Pillar platform to help you restore that that uh, access. 
Um, the kind of specific technical implementation of this is uh, called Shamir's secret sharing. It's essentially kind of like multi-sig access. Mm -hmm. um, set up the parameters. Uh, it can be in any, it's kind of an arbitrary, but it's, it's N of X in the sense of um, three of five or two of three. And you basically shard the key and share it with say five individuals. And as long as you can get access to three of them, um, you're able to recover your key. Uh, mm -hmm. You can do say share it with 10 and as long as you have eight. So the, the level of security or, or those parameters, we haven't specifically decided if we're going to go one way or another or allow for complete flexibility on the user's you know, side of things to be able to um, choose those. That's essentially how it would work. Um, you know, recovery is a tricky one because w when people say trust list, there's not really any such thing. You're always trusting someone, whether that be exactly. Uh, code, a contract, uh, some third party entity, uh, email verification. Um, so where does that live? You know, um, and this also is another reason why off chain and, um, and kind of personal decentralized storage is going to be a big deal, not just for pillar, but for, I think the future of this decentralized economy and industry, uh, users having kind of their own decentralized private Dropbox ish. Um, and, and those are the type of things that also can help in the recovery process. Um, especially when it comes to identity because recovery of identity pieces and recovery of, of funds and wallet likely to be two different paths and handled uh, a bit differently because again, data correlation, we need to keep those, those separate essentially. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, um, lastly, man, uh, what, what's the future hold for pillar, uh, 2019, we're almost halfway done with it. Um, what are your goals for the, the rest of this year? And, and in 2020, what are you guys looking to do yeah. and, and how are you looking to grow and, and evolve? Um, yeah, we, uh, I put out a pretty ambitious, uh, vision article in the beginning of the year. Um, if you know if you're interested please take a look we'll do I, i've been really pleased with how our team's been performing um our, our speed of delivery um i'm really happy with the partnerships we've developed with other projects we're collaborating with numerous open source teams um and all of this is really again our, our product velocity is picked up and and generally it's, I'm starting to see a lot of the high level concepts that we, we talked about in our gray paper and, and we, you know, drove people to be interested in, in the project, uh, really coming to light, like those technology foundations are being laid. Um, you know, on the back of the pillar payment network, we have a variety of initiatives we're working on and we really, we're, you know, we recently also, uh, participated in the Odyssey hackathon out mm -hmm. in, uh, Amsterdam which mm -hmm. uh where we focused on citizen wallet and digital 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 citizenship and the identity play um that is really going to be start to become a, a lot more prevalent theme less kind of wallet features and more you know identity specific features and that's not to say we don't have a strong focus on uh DeFi and what's happening there we definitely anticipate inclusion of those services but we want to make sure uh, we stay true to the, you know, that core goal of making sure that people have control over their data and um, you know, their personal information and they're able to interact with 
their everyday services and um, in, in the manner of their choosing. So, gotcha. So, um, lastly, you know, the the, the other part with um, as far as my interview with the chairman uh, David Siegel, uh, one of the concerns was the token, right? I was holding this token, uh, as I've explained in many videos, probably for reasons I don't know, just because, uh, Cliff High, you know, told us that this was going to go to the moon, right? Um, what, uh, what role does the token play now in, in this whole ecosystem? And, and how are you guys going to add or continue to add value to that token? I mean, I know it's not a security, so it's not like, I'm just saying, you know, how, how are you going to have that demand for the pillar token increase over time? Totally. Yeah. Some of the tokenomics theory. Um, yeah. The tokenomics. Exactly. Yeah. So th this is all part and parcel of kind of the pillar pay payment network and, and everything involved in that. Um, the token again, so the, the whole concept is around this idea of a meta token um, and, and pillar acting as this meta token. So we've already touched on how by staking, you're able to enter onto this layer two payment channel with, and the benefits there. You're able to uh, exchange assets that you don't directly own and have exposure basically to any of those assets, um, you know, all through pillar. Uh, because of our relayer network that we're uh, working with and helping to build, um, you're able to cover network fees on chain directly from Pillar. So kind of like having a single token experience. So novices or individuals who just don't really want to have to worry about all the other, um, they can basically operate and interact with all the wallet services purely through Pillar. This is kind of the theme. Um, you can imagine too, if there's a number of integrated services, a robust ecosystem, despite whatever um, currency they want to charge in, even if it may be fiat, um, you, you can interact and you have exposure to this through pillar. So it's kind of like maintaining a, a balance in your, uh, in your pillar tank and exposure um, onto the network. You're able to interact with all these people purely through pillar. So we anticipate, you know, the staking there will naturally pull, have, have a uh, uh, effect on the supply um, and, you know, pull a lot of the tokens to the live on platform, hopefully some level of permanence. And, you know, that starts to feed the, the, the network. Gotcha. Of that. Um, yeah, the, the number of ways and utility um, beyond that, obviously, as a payment, uh, layer for services uh, mm -hmm. as a web three process payment processor for, you know, web two companies that are looking to make this migration, but don't want to have to worry about the infrastructure. That's a big focus for us as well. So right. uh, we can use pillar wallet platform and token to kind of be that whole story and handle that whole infrastructure challenge for them. So okay. these are some of the, the ways we anticipate that the, the use will increase utility will increase. And as a result, hopefully the, number of holders and transactions will increase. Gotcha. So are you guys going to be, again, I didn't know you were in the States. Are you going over to NY for blockchain week next week? You, yeah, will you be I'll out be there. there. Um, yeah. In I'm heading out mid next week. Uh, Vitor, our CTO will be there. Uh, Michael, the, um, our new CEO will also be there. Um, some of the 2030 team um, as well. So if you're interested, uh, please reach out. Um, 
the articles that I recently released, it's a, it's a three-part article series. Uh, first one dealing with kind of the smart wallet and PDL. Um, second one on this pillar payment network channel or mm -hmm. topic and, uh, relayers. Yep. The third one is really like the has yet to come out. It's really the meta token concepts kind of bring it all together. And that'll hopefully answer more to the tokenomics piece. Gotcha. Um, but on those, there's a sign up form too. So if users are going to be out in New York, um, we're going to be doing some private demos. Um, so they can, they can sign up there as well. And, uh, we're happy to meet with them, tell you where we'll be and show you what we're working on. Great. Yeah. You guys, if you're in the New York area or going to New York blockchain week, definitely check out Drew and company. That's, that's great, man. So I wish you guys the best and uh, definitely have you come back on and give me updates. Man. You guys are taking yeah. on a lot. I'm just being honest. And it's a, it's a kudos to you for pivoting and really hankering down on a team where it looks like you guys are making a lot of progress finally. And uh, that's great, man. Again, guys, thank you for joining me on this Kicking It session with Drew Harden from Pillar. He is the Chief Product Officer. You can contact him there on the screen, Twitter, at Drew Harden. Definitely have you on again, brother. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Holla.